All right, so I am not preaching today. We have a special guest preacher with us who, if you've been here at the bridge longer than I have, needs absolutely no introduction. But I know we have plenty of people who are newer than I am here, so I'm going to introduce him. Tim Latour is one of the pastors on staff at Island ECC, which is the church that the bridge started out of. Actually, it started out of your small group, didn't it? Yeah. So the bridge church started out of Tim's small group about 12 years ago. Um, And Tim has been a great supporter of the church over the years. Uh, One of the biggest things was in 2018. uh, He was here for, what, eight months? Um, What was your official title during that time? Friend of the bridge. He was functioning basically as the pastor of the bridge for about eight months while we were in between pastors. Uh, It was such a blessing for the church to have him here. And we're so excited that he can be here today to share God's word with us. So can I pray for you and then... All right, yeah, Father, we pray for Tim as he shares your word today, that he would be able to speak clearly, that he would be able to share your word with us in a powerful way, and that you would speak to us through him. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, everybody. (laughs) It's so good to see everyone. Um, uh, Thanks for the introduction, Pastor Eric. Um, Pastor Eric is currently our fantasy football champion of the year. So um, we're so glad that we get to hang out online and do that together as well. Um, but no, it's, it's really great to be here with everyone. Um, and it's, I can't believe how long it's been. It's been a while. It's been uh, a couple of years, I guess, or, or I think I was here after that or, or before COVID or something like that. But um, it's great to see everyone. I've been looking forward to this ever since Eric asked me to come and speak here. Um, seeing familiar faces, old friends, uh, it's, it's really, really wonderful. Um, let me see here. I, I think I lost my, uh, my slide, um, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it work. I'm going to make it work. Uh, let's see here. Um, okay. <laughs> there we go. So yeah, so I've been uh, over at Island ECC for the last, uh, you know, for the last 17 years. Um, my wife, Cindy, and I and our kids, we moved to uh, Tung Chung in 2008, as, as uh, Eric mentioned, and out of the small group that we were uh, a part of uh, came the, what was called the Tung Chung Church and then evolved into now where we are with the Bridge Church. Um, and it's so great to see uh, something that has been going for the last 12 years continue through so many different uh, different changes and with protests and COVID and all kinds of stuff that's happening, it's, it's really great. And I think today what we're going to be talking about um, has some similar themes of, of how uh, we're going to look at how Paul planted the church at Corinth and how he is encouraging them as well. But, um, you know, this has been an interesting couple of years. It's been an interesting week, actually. We had a really uh, crazy week this past week. Uh, two typhoons, um, two of the weirdest typhoons I think I've ever seen that weren't even really close to us, but did a lot of, uh, caused a lot of issues and damage and stuff like that. Um, and, then a, and then a holiday. We had a holiday in the middle of the week, so some of us had a nice break, uh, some T8 days and a holiday. So two T8 days, double eight, and then a double ninth festival. How about that? How cool is that? Um, now, so for many of us Westerners who grew up maybe in the States or North America or somewhere 
memorials. Double Ninth Festival is a holiday that always sneaks up on us. And actually the name uh, I found out um, doesn't make a whole lot of sense because it's the ninth day of the ninth month of the year, but it fell on October 14th. So that didn't really make a whole lot of sense. But of course, it's the lunar calendar. Um, we get that, right? And that's a day to honor uh, ancestors, to go on hikes, maybe uh, sweet graves and kind of make things nice for ancestors. Um, also celebrate with chrysanthemums and all kinds of great stuff. So again, it's a holiday that just kind of comes out of nowhere for us who weren't raised in this part of the world. And so it's all of a sudden like, oh, you get Thursday off. I didn't, I didn't realize that. Um, but there's a holiday where we're from, uh, my wife and I, where we're from in the United States, uh, in Louisiana, that is not even celebrated across the entire United States. People get two days off of the week for this holiday, and that holiday is called Mardi Gras. Now, Mardi Gras in the U.S., or in, in our state, is a really big deal, but in the U.S., it's not, it's not a huge deal, and it's really not a big deal uh, around the world. But Mardi Gras is enormous where we're from. And it also follows the lunar calendar. And what Mardi Gras means is Fat Tuesday. It's French for the words Fat Tuesday. And it falls on the day before the Lenten season begins. Okay, so it's the day before Ash Wednesday. So if you grew up in a Catholic background, you maybe know what I'm talking about. So Fat Tuesday happens, and this is what happens in our home state, and especially in the city of New Orleans, Louisiana. Now, New Orleans is notorious for Mardi Gras. And I use the word notorious on purpose because it is a crazy party. People descend on Mardi Gras uh, from all over the country, from all over the world. Uh, as a matter of fact, last year in February of 2020, Mardi Gras was a super spreader event for COVID. <laughs> it was kind of the beginning. It was the epicenter of COVID in, in the States. It was a really, really big deal. Um, but Mardi Gras is a day um, where people just celebrate. And the reason they're celebrating is, weirdly, because Lent starts the next day. And Lent is a time of somber reflection and sacrifice and prayer and fasting. And so what people do is they want to get all of that stuff out the day before. So they drink and they party and they do all kinds of stuff. And so they look like this on Tuesday, and then they look like this on Wednesday morning. So on Wednesday morning, a lot of people will go to a, a Catholic mass and they will get the ashes put on their forehead by a Catholic priest, which is to remind them from ashes you came and to ashes you will return. And it is the beginning of the fasting and the sacrifice, the sacrificial season um, after, you know, after that. So when I think about the book of Corinthians and I think about who the Corinthians were, um, I get a lot of images from New Orleans, and I think about what New Orleans is like, okay? Now, Corinth, the city of Corinth in Greece, uh, where Paul did some missionary work, was destroyed in 146 BC and was rebuilt about a century later. And because of its placement on the map, its placement in southern Greece, it became um, a very important city because a lot of people would travel from east and west into Corinth. And being in Greece, being close to Athens, it was an intellectual city. Um, a lot of trade happened there. It was a port city, as is New Orleans. New Orleans is a port city, as is Hong Kong. So, of course, a lot of people are going to be coming into the part of the city. But what Corinth was mostly known for was for being morally corrupt, okay? The city of Corinth was known for being morally corrupt, so much so that there was a word for people in Corinth. It was Corinthia Zomai, 
People were called Corinthiazomai, and what that meant was you, to act like a Corinthian, which meant to ma- mainly mean you are a morally corrupt person or a sexual person or a drunkard. So when I tell people, especially from the States, that I'm from Louisiana, their first thought is Mardi Gras. <laughs> and they go, oh, you're one of those people. I get that a lot. They go, oh, you must go to Mardi Gras every week and, or every, every year and, and do that sort of stuff. And actually, a lot of locals in Louisiana flee from New Orleans because it's a scary place to be uh, during Mardi Gras. But this is what, this is what uh, Corinthians were called. They were called this, and the, it, the connotation was was that they were morally corrupt people. Now, Claudius Elenius, a Greek writer from the second and third century, tells us that if a Corinthian was ever shown on the stage in a Greek play, he was shown as a drunk, okay? So you can kind of get the image of what these people were like in your head, that they were some people that um, just had a little bit too much fun, maybe a little bit too loose with their life um, in this very, very important city. But it was an important city and a great destination for Paul as a missionary uh, to go to the city and to really kind of reach these people as much as, as he possibly could. Now, um, as you've been reading in your Bible plan, uh, Pastor Eric shared with me that you guys have been reading through the Bible. Um, you were in Acts chapter 18 this week and also 1 Corinthians 1 through 9. So as you've been reading, um, you know that Paul went to Corinth on his second missionary journey. Now, this is a, a map of, of Paul's journeys. It's actually a really cool website. If you ever want to check it out, it's called viz.bible, V-I-Z dot Bible. It's an interactive map. You can zoom in and out. You can uh, click on different things and see the different journeys. It also will show you kind of um, uh, what the place looked like in Paul's day and what it also looks like in, in our day. So you can kind of see what current day looks like there. Really cool, really cool website. Um, but he goes in there on his second missionary journey and begins to preach. He goes to synagogues first and he goes and preaches to the Jews, but the Jews became abusive to him. So he left them and then went to go focus on the Gentiles and spend time preaching to them. Now in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3, he tells them, I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. When he came into Corinth, he says, I came to you with great fear and trembling. Now that could mean because he had been abused, but it also could mean because he knows the reputation that is in Corinth. He knows what he's coming into, what kind of place he's coming into. So he was kind of worried and and was coming with fear and trembling. Now, um, so we see that he's trying to reach the Jews. He's trying to reach the Greeks. And what he's running into is a bit of a problem. He's running into some issues because he's trying to talk to them and, and teach them about the gospel and try to show the power of the gospel. But each one of them had their own preconceived notions, which we're going to look at here today. But in Acts chapter 18, verse 9, as we read about this missionary journey, as he was with fear and trembling, he got a vision from God. It says, one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, said, do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent for I am with you and no one is going to attack or harm you and harm you because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. So God let him know, do not give up hope because there are people I have waiting for you in this city. There are people who need to hear this message, so keep preaching this message. 
So on his third missionary journey, Paul had received some information about this church that he had left in Corinth. He had been there there a year and a half. He left there. He had gotten some reports on his third missionary journey while he was in Ephesus and then began to write them this letter. Now, there was a previous letter that that is missing that we don't know where that is. Uh, He alludes to this letter, but this is one of the letter. He's he's gotten a report and he wants to kind of clear up some things for them and help them to understand some stuff. So he begins with this. Uh, in, chapter, in verse 2, 1 Corinthians, he says, to the church of God in Corinth. Sounds like a very normal beginning, but it actually is packed in with a lot of great information here. The first thing it says is to the church of God. So the word church or ecclesia in this, in this uh, phrase here is just a regular word. Like the, it doesn't mean anything Christian. It doesn't mean anything. The word actually just means assembly. Okay, so if you see any grouping of people for any particular purpose, that would be a church or an assembly. So he clarifies it by saying, you are a church of God. You are an assembly of God. So your specific purpose as a group is to worship God. And then in contrast, you're in Corinth to the church of God in Corinth. So you're in this very sinful place with a lot of moral, moral corruption and you're the church of God in Corinth to get that very clear, to make that very clear for them so they can understand how they're different in the city that they're in. Now, many of you probably know Hong Kong very well, and you know there's certain places in the city that are a little loose, maybe, so, so to speak. Uh, one area, for example, uh, in Wan Chai. Um, I'm intimately connected to Wan Chai because our church offices used to be in Wan Chai, actually very close to a certain area that will remain nameless. But you may know that there are certain clubs in that area that a lot of a lot of people like to attend, and it's nefarious reasons, right? Um, but our church office was on one side of that road, and our church used to meet in the convention center on the other side of that road. And one Sunday morning, uh, I was leaving the church office, walking to church on a Sunday morning, and a lady came up to me and was trying to drag me into one of the clubs that is, exists on one of the streets in Wan Chai. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, I cannot believe this is happening on a Sunday morning. I, I can't believe it's happening at all, but on a Sunday morning is, is crazy. But us being a church in that area kind of makes me think about what Paul is kind of alluding here to, the church of God in Corinth. You are different. You are set apart. And he elaborates further. He says, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. The word holy means to be set apart. So you're this church of God. You were in this city and you are set apart, called to be, uh, you're there to be sanctified by Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus. So he reminds them who they are. And sadly, you know, later in the book, he's going to be explaining and, and kind of uh, helping them realize how many mistakes they've made and, and addressing a lot of their issues that they had. But what he wants right now, what he really wants to hammer home at the very beginning, because of the reports he had, he had gotten, he wants to make a, very, a point uh, really clear to them. So he says in verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, but that you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. 
So he's saying, I appeal to you. Now, Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul is one of the apostles and they knew that. And he has the authority to say, I command you, I command you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has the authority to say that, but instead he's lovingly saying, I appeal to you. I plead with you, or I'm, I'm begging you in some sense to not be divided. I'm begging you that there be no divisions. And so he's seeing that there are so many divisions and the, the Greek word for this would be schismata, which means to split, divide, or, or tear. So that they're literally being torn apart in the church of God at Corinth. So this church is beginning to be divided, being split, being torn apart. And he's saying, please don't do that. Please don't do that. He's saying, I'm pleading with you that there be no divisions, but that you may be perfectly united, perfectly united uh, in in this thought. And that's a a word, katartizo, which means to mend or repair or to knit together. So he's saying they're being torn apart, but I want you to be knit back together. I want there be to, to be no divisions, and he's calling them to be united, that there's unity among the church. So he's getting these reports. He's telling them, I don't want this for you. I want you to be united. He says, my brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. And what I mean by this is one of you says, I follow Paul, another I follow Apollos, another I follow Cephas, and still another I follow Christ. So, so Paul is in Ephesus, you can see on the right of the map, and he's getting uh, reports from Corinth, from Chloe's household. Chloe, probably a Christian, probably had some business dealings in Corinth and had people from her household or workers with her, or whatever, going back and forth from Corinth to Ephesus. And those people were coming back and saying, hey, here are the reports I'm getting. Here are the reports, uh, this is what I'm hearing, okay? So he's getting reports about this church that he spent a year and a half with, and, and, and this is what the, the report is, is that all of these people are becoming divided. Some are saying I'm with Paul. Some are saying I'm of Apollo. Some are saying I'm of Cephas, who is Peter. And some are saying I am of Christ. So you could break this down by saying, uh, some are saying I'm of Paul, the one who started this church. The guy who was here first, I'm with him. I am of him. That's the faction that I'm a part of, okay? Makes sense in some ways. Some are saying, I'm of Apollos. Apollos, as you read in your Bible reading in Acts 18, or 18, 18, uh, Apollos is the one who came after Paul. He was an eloquent and gifted man. Acts 18, 24 says, Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus with Paul. He was a learned man, with thorough knowledge of scriptures, he had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately. So he spoke with great fervor, that he, that he had passion in the way that he spoke, and he, and he taught accurately about Jesus. And so he was an eloquent and gifted speaker. And so people you know, who, who knew Paul was the first one, that Apollos comes in and they're like, well, we like this guy better. So I'm of Apollos now. Others are saying, I'm of Cephas or or Peter. Peter is the first of the apostles. Peter was the disciple that Jesus said, you are the rock that will start my church. Uh, You know, this is, you are the rock of the church. 
And so the church started with Peter. So people are saying, well, I'm going to go way back to Peter and say, we're with him. And others are saying, I am of Christ. We don't follow men. We follow Jesus. We're not, we're not following after a preacher. We're actually following Christ. And so we see that there's all these divisions, all these splits, that people are beginning to kind of form their different groups of, of the people that they want to be with. And the sad reality is, is that what Paul was pleading with them not to do in the book of 1 Corinthians is something that is still happening to this day. You still see that this happens in our churches throughout the world all the time. Now, when I became a Christian as a teenager, and I didn't really start going to church until university. And when I started going to university, there was a, a university group that the college pastor had just left. He had just left the church, and they were finding a new college pastor to come in. And so when the new college pastor came in, I didn't know any different. He was the guy, the only guy that I knew, but barely anybody was coming to the college fellowship. And I started asking, you know, what's up? And they said, oh, you should have seen the other guy that was here before. He was amazing. Hundreds of people would come to the college fellowship. Now there's like 20 people, you know. And it was, they were all like, I am of Kevin. <laughs> you know, Kevin was the guy. And, and I'm like, well, I am of Bradley because Bradley's my guy. You know, I don't know anybody else, okay? And then that church formed another location so it was one church, two locations with different pastors and the pastors would rotate between the two locations and you'd have people literally going to other locations as the pastor would move back and forth. And so the two location thing wasn't really working out because people were following their favorite, their favorite pastor. And then when I moved to Hong Kong, I started in youth ministry at, at Island ECC and I had all uh, great friends, great network of friends who were all youth pastors. Uh, Eric eventually came over as a youth pastor. We were part of the youth pastor network in some ways. And, and so uh, I had a lot of my friends that were um, great pastors, great youth pastors, and, and a few of them were very, very gifted speakers. And I remember one night um, at my youth group, a bunch of my students came to me and lovingly said to me, Tim, we're not coming back anymore. And I said, why? I said, oh, because we're going to Brian's youth group now. I'm like, oh, okay, I see how that is. And Brian was a very gifted speaker and spoke with great fervor and taught about Christ accurately as Apollos did. And I was not offended at all. Of course I was, right? And so you see that happening all the time, okay? So even, even at our church, even at Island ECC, every once in a while, we'll have different pastors that will speak at the church and I'll get a text message from people. Even this current year, people will say, hey, Tim, who's, who's preaching at Island this week? And I always hesitate to say, because I don't want them to make a decision on if they're coming to church based on who's preaching, okay? So you see churches kind of get divided and split among who they're going to follow. And then here's the most mind-blowing thing, just to think about it. Years and years ago, if you wanted to hear another sermon from another pastor, the only way to do that was to go to that church, okay? Or the church would record it on a cassette tape and then you could maybe get a copy of that cassette tape from somebody be like, oh, you got to hear this sermon from this pastor. It's amazing. And pass you a physical cassette tape or CD. Now, 
now, today, you could go on the internet and hear literally almost every church's sermon. If you left here today after this church service, you could go online and hear every other church's sermon and spend your entire day just listening to sermons. And so now you hear people say, I am of Tim Keller, or I am of Andy Stanley, or I am of John Piper, <laughs> like all these mega pastors in the States. And, and you're kind of like going, but what about our church? <laughs> We have a great church here in Tung Chung, right? We have all that, but none of that really matters. None of that matters at all. And Paul clarifies, he says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I mean, what a great rebuke, he says right there. I, I didn't die for you, Jesus did. Jesus isn't divided among all these different factions. Christ isn't divided. And then Paul says, were you baptized in the name of Paul? And I, and I love when Paul goes on these little tangents. He goes, I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except for Crispus and Gaius so that no one could say that you were baptized in my name. And then he kind of stops himself. He goes, yes, I also baptized the house of Stephanus, the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anybody else, right? I, I love that he even threw that thought in there in the letter. But his point is to say that just because even if I did baptize you, I didn't baptize you in my name. I baptized you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I baptized you as Christians. And so he's saying, don't be divided. Don't be divided uh, in this way. And so later in chapter three, he kind of clarifies this and he explains, he says, what after all is Apollos? What, what is he after all? And what is Paul? We're only servants through whom you came to believe. As the Lord has assigned to each his task, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will, be, they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. And so as I think about even the history of the Bridge Church, I think about who planted and who watered and who watered and who kept watering and people who keep watering and watering and watering. There's so many people who have been involved in this, in this wonderful church. And here we are today in 2021 where God is continuing to work. And it doesn't matter who's standing up here or doing this. This is all God's work. The, the people who are, who are serving are servants uh, that God has called. And so Paul is trying to make this very clear for them. And so he says, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And so he's saying, I'm not called really to baptize you. I'm called to preach, to let you know the word, to, to help you understand the word. And I love that he includes not with wisdom and eloquence, so, and, and I'm inferring some information here when I read this, but the main thing you could say is that I'm not doing this in a flashy way to persuade you. Okay, that, that's very much the interpretation of that is I'm not trying to like trick you into believing or, or convince you in this way to believe through eloquence or wisdom or anything like that. But this also could be a little bit of insecurity that Paul is showing, that Apollos does have great eloquence and speaks with great fervor. And he's a wonderful pastor that came after. Paul. And he's saying, look, I'm not even as good as Apollos, 
But that's not the point. I'm not, I'm not trying to do it with persuasion or eloquence. He said, I don't want the cross of Christ to be emptied of its power. It doesn't matter who talks. The real power comes from the gospel, from the cross of Christ. And so he's saying, this is why I've come. And so then he moves in to help them understand uh, a little bit clearer to his audience, who he's speaking to, the Jews and the Greeks, um, what, what is so interesting about this message. And he calls this the, a foolish gospel. And the, he starts talking about this foolish gospel. This gospel is, is foolishness uh, to people who are hearing it. And he, and he clarifies this to them. He says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And so he's saying that people who hear this message, this message of the cross that we are preaching, it may sound foolish or crazy or strange or weird or impossible. How is this even possible? And especially to the people he's talking about, a place of intelligence, Corinth, not as is apparently not as uh, intellectual as Athens, which is close by, but a very intellectual place. He's saying, this seems like foolishness to some people. He says, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent. I will frustrate. He's quoting Isaiah there. Where, there is, a wise, where is there a wise person, person? Where is there a teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made the foolish wisdom, uh, has, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God is the work is the, of the, in the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who he believed. And so then he says, oh, and I lost my thing here. Uh, and so then he says, Jews demand a sign and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Greeks. So he's talking about this idea of the wisdom of the world is foolish because uh, God's wisdom is higher than everything that we ever try to attain, anything that we try to come up with. But then he makes this really interesting comment. He says, Jews demand a sign, Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, Christ crucified. And this is such a powerful statement. Such a powerful phrase when you unpack this a little bit. Because very simply, Christ crucified means Messiah executed. That the Messiah is executed. It's a stumbling block to the Jews. It's a stumbling block to the Jews and it's foolishness to the Gentiles or to the Greeks. This doesn't make any sense for either side to the people that he's trying to witness to, that he's trying to minister to. And so what does that mean? What does that mean that this Messiah is executed? So for the Jews, they look for signs. The Greeks look for wisdom. To the Jews, Christ crucified is a stumbling block. To the Greeks, it's foolishness because the Jews were waiting for triumph from the Messiah. And to the Greeks, it's an unimaginable death that a Messiah would even be executed. And on top of that, they didn't believe in the resurrection. That how could someone even resurrect? That's not even possible. And so on one side, you have the Jews who've been waiting for this Messiah to come in triumphantly and, and kind of be their savior and save the world for them. But he's been crucified. He's been murdered. He's been executed. That's a stumbling block to any Jew who would believe in the Messiah that doesn't make sense to them. How can our Messiah, how can that happen to him? 
So they don't, they don't give it any credit. And then on the other side, you have the Greeks who are saying, how, why would you give so much power or, or importance to a man that, that got killed? He, he died, and then you're talking about a resurrection. Like, that's not even possible. So they're, they're thinking in reason. And so this one phrase, Christ crucified to these people that Paul is preaching to, doesn't make any sense to them. It seems like foolishness, like a stumbling block. And so he goes on and he says to them, uh, but to those whom God has called, both the Jews and the Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. So he's saying that, you know, whatever you think is foolish is actually wiser than you can even imagine. Okay, so for the, the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is, is stronger than any human strength. And when I think about our, our wisdom and our strength and the technology and all the things that we've been able to come up with, none of that really ever measures up to what God is capable of, the power of the cross. None of that can ever measure up to what we think or, or what we can even imagine that God can do because his strength is stronger than ours and his wisdom is wiser than ours. He says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. And so this sounds harsh. You know, your, your former pastor who is now somewhere else is writing you a letter and saying, you're not wise. You're not noble. You're not influential. Remember that. Know your place, okay? He's saying, remember that about yourselves. He says, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. So he said that, you know, not the wise but the foolish, not the influential, but the weak, not the noble, but the lowly and the despised, those were the things that were chosen so that no one can boast before God, that no one can stand before the throne and say, I figured it out. I know everything, God. I'm smarter than you. I'm stronger than you. No one can boast that. And so what we see that God has done, and when we read all throughout scripture, you see so many instances of the weak, of the non-ignoble uh, 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 people, of the lowly, the despised, the foolish people, always kind of ushering in God's plans for things. You see Paul, who was a great persecutor of the church and was responsible for people getting murdered in the church. He's the one who becomes this great missionary and that we read so much about, that we're reading this letter about. And so you see all of these lowly things that are ones that God is using as strength. Um, John Calvin has a, a great quote. It says, in putting the strong and wise and great to shame, God does not exalt the weak and the uneducated and the worthless, but he brings all of them down to one common level. So he's not saying that I want you to be dumb and I want you to be ignorant and I, and I want you to be weak and lowly or anything like that. He's not saying don't, don't strive for those things, but he's saying all of us are on the same plane. We're all on the same level. We're on the same playing field. That if you think you're wise, you're not really that wise. If you think you're strong, you're not really that strong. But just know 
if you are weak or you are foolish or you're not that wise, you're stronger than you think because you have God's power in you. So it's bringing us all to a, a very common, a common level. And Paul says, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So because of what God has done, because of Christ Jesus who became wisdom from God, for us wisdom from God, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption, that we can boast in that that we don't have to sit here and say, well, I studied at this university or I've done this thing or I'm, I'm this smart or I've listened to this many sermons today or uh, you know, whatever the case is. We can boast in the fact of what God has done for us, what Jesus has done for us, that Jesus has become our wisdom and that the right, we have righteousness, sanctification and redemption, that we are made right before God, that we are made right before him, that we are not guilty, legally declared not guilty, that we have become righteous, that we have sanctification, that we're growing in maturity, that we, are, that we are with God, that we are in his family, that we are separate from the world, that we've been sanctified, but continuing to grow in our sanctification, and that we've been redeemed, that we've been paid for, that, that God has redeemed us, that we are now under no debt. And so thinking about what Paul has written, thinking about what he said, and there's just this first chapter, and there's so many more uh, great lessons to learn from 1 Corinthians. First thing to understand is that we are united under Christ and not a person. That when he talks about all these divisions in the church, to know that we're not following a person, we're not following a certain church, we're not following even a certain denomination or, or whatever, we're following Christ. We are under Christ, not a person. So stay united as a church. And that's, that's an encouragement to any church. Um, when, we, when you think about it, that's encouragement to the bridge, it's encouragement to Island ECC, the Vine, whoever. Stay united as a church. Be a, a church family um, under Christ. And that salvation is from the gospel and not from wisdom. Salvation is from the gospel and not from wisdom. That we get our power from what Christ did for us not from wisdom. Now, when I was in seminary um, uh, years ago, you know, that was a place where all you did was just talk about theology all the time. And I don't know if anybody's ever been in a situation like that, but there's a point where you begin to have these really, really deep discussions about theology and, you know, all kinds of interesting topics. And part of you begins to kind of think, well, um, I need to be smarter. I need to be wiser. I need to know more. And then you begin to kind of look at each other and go, who's smarter than me and, and stuff like that. And I remember I had lunch with a seminary professor one time and I told him, I was like, I feel like an idiot. Like, I feel like I, I don't belong here. <laughs> um, everybody went to Bible school and Bible college, and now they're here at seminary, and I don't really fit in because I'm a newer Christian, and I don't even know why they accepted me into this seminary. It doesn't make any sense. And the professor was like, well, how do you think I feel? I said, what do you mean? And he says, I've only been here for three years. He's like, every other professor here has written a book. They've been published in all these journals. They've done all these great things. He's like, I just got here. He's like, you and me are in the same boat. And I'm like, oh, thanks. That makes me feel a whole lot better. Um, but striving for wisdom sometimes can make us think that we are separating ourselves from everyone else. But really the truth is what separates us is the gospel. 
What separates us, what sets us apart and makes us holy is what Christ has done for us, Christ crucified. And so we can boast in God in that sense and not in ourselves. That there's no way we can be super smart. There's no way that we can save ourselves. There's no strength that we can have, but that we can boast in God and not in ourselves uh, because of what he's done for us. And I just want to finish with uh, what Paul writes in chapter two. It's kind of a little conclusion to his, his speaking here. It says, and so, what it, uh, and, and so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human, or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Christ Jesus and Christ crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest in human wisdom, but on God's power. And so Paul very humbly is saying, when I came to you and I spent that year and a half with you, and I was teaching you and, and explaining the gospel to you, I wasn't doing it with my own strength. I was doing it with Christ's strength. That I, not, I did not, so that you would not believe and rest your um, faith on human, human wisdom, but on God's power. And so um, that is something just to think about as we as Christians uh, gather together and worship, as we think about um, the sermons that we hear and the messages that we hear and uh, knowing that there's so much out there for us. Um, it's just an encouragement for us as we read and think about what Paul has done with this church to to, to plead for them to stay united and to not to start to be divided and following uh, different types of teaching or other kinds of wisdom, but also to know that the gospel is what is, is the power. The gospel is what has made the power in their lives, not anything, any lesson that they've learned from any particular source, but that really what it is is the unity in the church, the community that's built. You know, when I, when I look at these signs, you know, this great, great kind of reminders of what we're called for as believers and as a church, um, Christ, commission, calling, and community. And really it's the community that builds each other and strengthens one another uh, so that you can uh, find your calling and, and respond to your calling and to be on commission and to worship Christ together. Um, so it's very encouraging for me personally, to come here and see so many familiar faces, knowing that um, it's been a crazy couple of years and you've remained united and that's really, really wonderful. Um, but also encouraging to know that it's not of our strength. You know, it's not our strength that's making this happen. It's not, you know, we, we have so much power and so much wisdom to make this happen. Um, you know, the Bridge Church has survived a lot of things and you guys are still here. And I can only credit that to the power of God the power of the gospel and how your faith and how your um, faithfulness and, and, and steadfastness and all of this has continued to keep this going. So let me, let me pray for you guys and, and pray for us as we wrap up. God, I thank you for um, this wonderful church. And God, I thank you for this lesson that we hear from Paul as we learn about his own missionary journeys and uh, how passionate he was for the churches that he planted and the churches that he uh, helped grow. And God, I thank you for this lesson that he has uh, to remind them that, um, that it's not of eloquence or, or wise words or persuasive speech that they believe, but it's from the power of the cross. And God, I pray that for all of us, that, that we remember that as we um, live our lives as Christians, that 
we believe in this because of the power of the cross, that, that something changed our lives and that was you. That it wasn't from any particular um, person, it wasn't from any particular message or video or anything that we saw, but it was really the power of Christ crucified. And so God, we thank you that um, what is foolishness to others is, is the power for us that we believe. Uh, it's our salvation. And, and we give you all the praise for that. And God, I thank you for uh, the wonderful people of the Bridge Church who uh, have been so faithful to this community. And I pray for them as they continue to keep taking steps forward to, to follow you and trust in you, but also to reach people here in Tung Chung and on Lantau Island. And, and God, I pray that um, the bridge would continue to be a light uh, for those around us, that the bridge would continue to be a light for this community uh, and that people uh, would want to know more about you because of the love that they see in everyone here. So God, we thank you again. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.